Welcome to another podcast by Every Nation Brisbane. We're so glad you can join us here today. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Please enjoy the following message. Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3. If you want to follow me in your Bibles, you can also. It says here, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man said to his wife, uh, and his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then we'll jump down to verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that your desire is to uh, have us be one with you, uh, set apart for your glory. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and activate our hearts to be able to receive your word, soften our hearts, the soil of our hearts, that the seed of your word may may, uh, take root and germinate in such great soil. We thank you for the impact of your gospel in our lives today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. We're in this series called Set Apart, which is really, in essence, the definition of holiness. But today we're going to talk about how um, holiness was lost. That's the title of today's message, Holiness Lost. And I know over the last couple of weeks, well, uh, last week, I know Pastor Tina did an awesome job of of talking about um, the, the, the sound of the call of God to, towards us to, to be holy, uh, but we must ask, answer this question, what is holiness? When we think about this question, what is holiness, we often use the phrase to be set apart, but to be set apart for what, right? I want to encourage you that as we unpack um, today's scripture to, to, take, to take some time to take notes because I really believe that uh, a lot of what will be discussed and even revealed by the Holy Spirit to you will be applicable for your life. To be holy means to be dedicated or consecrated. Again, consecrated is not necessarily a word we use every day. How many of you use the word consecrated this week, right? It's not really, uh, maybe we use the word dedicated. So we can use that word, to be dedicated to God for his purposes, so holiness obviously is a weighty word, and it's dependent on our, our understanding of who God is, his nature, right? So when we see in Scripture, whether it's Isaiah 6, which I'll come back to in a moment, or Revelation 4.8, uh, where John the Revelator is uh, surrounded uh, or has this vision of, of, of um, these angelic beings in, in Revelation 4, verse 8, surrounding the throne room of God and, and, and crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
Notice that they didn't say, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They didn't say justice, justice, justice is the Lord God Almighty. The, the prevalent quality of which these angels declare is his holiness. The same thing we see in Isaiah 6 where it says, I see the Lord and he's seated upon the, the throne and the train of his robe fills the temple with his glory. And the angelic beings have six wings, two covering their feet, two covering their faces and two keeping them afloat. And their declaration is what? Holy, holy, holy. Why? Why do they say it three times? You know, unlike the English language where you can say something like big, bigger, biggest. In the Hebrew, when you say something three times, it is the extreme form of whatever it is that you state. So he is the holiest possible view of holiness. In fact, his holiness is infinite. And so when we understand that perspective of God, we begin to see ourselves, right? When, when God's invitation to his people is to be holy because he is holy, that's quite an invitation. I mean, he is holy, holy, holy. So when we recognize that he is holy, we recognize that he is set apart unlike anything or anyone else in all of the universe. So therefore, our motive to be holy, can you... Can you begin to see just in that opening statement how feeble our attempts towards holiness and our own self-righteousness can be? How we try to attain holiness, maybe it's through our performance orientation, right? We try to perform our way towards holiness or we try to save face depending on the cultures that you come from. You know, you, you save face or you try to appear like you are holy in front of other people. Maybe it's a Sunday thing. I knew it would get quiet right there, right at that moment. Uh, but we're not to strive uh, for that holiness because God, we, we are to strive, but I'll, I'll get to it and unpack it a little bit. We pursue his holiness for he is the one who makes us holy. Okay. Uh, I like uh, this from um, Art Lindsay, who's the, one of the heads in the C.S. Lewis Institute, describing holiness out of more of a relationship, check this out. He says, our motive for being holy is not primarily to follow rules and laws, but to follow God himself. You're with me, yeah? We are to strive to be holy, pursuing the holiness without which no one can see the Lord. What is the answer to this dilemma? It is that God is a law unto himself. In other words, God's commands are really a reflection of his nature. He commands the good because he is good. He commands holiness because he is holy. He commands justice because he is just. And he commands love because he is loving and so on. Are you all with me? You're beginning to see that the call to holiness is actually a call to God himself. It's not a call to try to be something in our own strength. It's a call and an invitation through the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross that we can be more like him as we walk in that oneness with him. And this is the sound of the invitation. Holy, holy, holy. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? The angelic beings surround the, the throne and we get to be a part of that. Isaiah 6, again, I don't have too much time to unpack it, but the reaction of uh, Isaiah is that he says, woe am I, a man with unclean lips. He recognized in the, in the sight of God's holiness that he is impure, unholy, unrighteous. And yet God still invites him through the power of his grace 
to be sent. Remember, he says that that, uh, God says, speaking also of the Trinity, he says, who will go for us? Not who will go for me, who will go for us? And Isaiah recognizes that that's the invitation. If I am one with this God, then I can be sent. I can walk out in my purpose. So this is the sound of the invitation. Now, last week, Pastor Tina talked a little bit about sound. You all remember that? Uh, she talked about the sound of uh, cells and life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ask that question again. Why do sounds make you feel a certain way? If the sound of holiness and that word holiness, like Pastor Steve, one of our founders was saying, uh, kind of freaks you out. When you, when you say the word holy, in some settings, it's like, it, it like distances us from any possibility of being a follower of God. Or when we say the word holiness, maybe it's, we, we're like, I'm holy and they're not. Ew, I don't want to touch them, right? But the, the sound of certain words can make you feel a certain way. The sound of that invitation. For instance, um, two weeks ago now, uh, my family and I, we were in Hawaii, and we got to visit this place. If you ever do get a chance to visit, I encourage you to. Uh, it's a place on the North Shore of Oahu, which is the main island where everybody flies into. It's called the Polynesian Cultural Center. And um, in there, you get to experience, you know, it's a very Disney-fied sort of uh, vision of what Polynesian culture looks like. And um, when you go to the New Zealand, uh, so they have different villages that reflect different Polynesian cultures. And in one uh, area, uh, there's the um, nation of Aotearoa or New Zealand. And so they have Maori people welcoming you there, and then they, they perform certain uh, dances and songs that come from uh, the culture of New Zealand. And then they have this instrument called the Purerehua. Everybody say Purerehua. All right, you didn't think that. I don't know if that'll be useful for you in the future, but uh, hopefully it will. I- I'm going to, um, it's just a piece of woven flax string or rope, it's tidy rope, that's tied to a piece of carved bone. Okay, th- these are just two inanimate objects or things, but they make a sound when you whirl it around. And it sounds a little bit like this. Mikey, you want to go ahead and play that sound? Play it. Uh, here we go. Now, when you hear that sound, right? Again, it's just a piece of string or rope attached to a piece of bone. But whirling it around, it makes a certain sound that evokes a certain emotional response. How many of you, like we were praying, playing it before, we were just testing it just now um, during our prayer time. And when, when uh, Mike started uh, playing it, it was funny. I saw people praying, they're like, oh, you know, like it, it evokes a certain emotional response, right? The sound. And we're going to understand that that sound has that power, Okay. So this invitation towards holiness is the sound that should resonate with who we are. Let's look at these, uh, the, the first appearance of sound in Scripture. Right at the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form or void. And darkness was over the face of the, uh, of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said what? Let there be light. And there was light. See, God's voice, the sound of his voice is life. It's light. God's voice creates new things. Now, put that to one side. And let's go to the scripture that I read earlier. 
in Genesis 3. This is the first time we hear from the enemy. And notice he's not God's enemy. There's no one worthy of being his enemy. He's our enemy. And this is what he does. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? See, God's voice brings life, but the enemy's voice tears down. Tries to tear down the life that God initially gives. Like, the enemy doesn't necessarily create anything new. He takes what is created and twists it and perverts it and tries to make it seem like that was not the intention that God had for it. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the sound of the tongue, right? And those who love it will eat its fruit. So if you surround yourself with certain sounds, whether the sound of life-giving things, remember faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, or you surround yourself with words that tear you down, this determines the difference between let there be light and did God actually say. So I want to I start with that just to, just to give you some food for thought. When we think about the voices that are dictating the direction of our 2024, we've got to ask ourselves, right? Are we surrounded by voices or do we choose to surround ourselves with the audibility of the voice that constantly says, let there be light? People that we surround ourselves with, are they constantly amplifying life-giving words, verbiage that comes out of their mouth or are they the type to tear down? I want to say this really quickly because some of us might think that that's actually just cultural, depending on what culture you come from. I'm here to tell you today, God's wanting to reshape the culture, every culture, to, to reflect his kingdom. This gospel is not a culture, uh, it's not from a specific culture, it's supposed to permeate through every tribe and tongue. And so let's not use the excuse of this is just the way it is. Right, God is wanting to transform the culture and bring redemption through speech and through sound that sounds like let there be light. So here he is, right? Did God really say? The enemy, the, the serpent says to the woman. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Those of you who have heard me uh, teach from this scripture before will have heard me talk about how the serpent's mouths, if even the serpents, I mean, we live in Australia, there's plenty of serpents around here, creepy crawlies, just, just going through. I always see it on my, you know, my feed. When I was, uh, when I was in Hawaii, I'd look at my Instagram um, and follow like, news channels here in Queensland with a career mail or nine news Queensland and I always see oh here goes another snake being found in you know crevices of a house or in the a swimming pool I'm like man I miss Queensland you know it's just just snakes everywhere the, the first sign I saw I don't know some of you follow me on Instagram first sign I saw when I came down and I was heading out to the pickup area was snakes uh, have been seen in this area it was like like a sign right there I was like home sweet home we're back but if you know anything about serpents, right, or snakes, is that they have small mouths. I've never heard a serpent yell across a room. So in order for the serpent to be heard, Eve had to have been in close proximity 
to the tree. Hello, somebody. Right? Your desires are evoked by what you give your attention to. And if you give your attention to the places and spaces that you know are more, did God really say, than they are, let there be light, they become what you desire more. Your desires are evoked by what you, what you give attention to through the gates of your eyes and your ears. And so here she is having this theological discussion with a serpent only because she is in close proximity to the debate room. Hopefully you're with me today. If, if she was not anywhere to be seen near that tree, this would be a completely different scripture. Right? So the first aspect of holiness we've got to see here is that holiness starts for us in our hearts. How's your heart today? It's not in your behavior, changing your behavior or changing your clothing so that you look more holy. Nelly, you should button up your shirt and put on a tie so that you can appear holy. How many of you know holiness is not dependent on robes as much as it is dependent on the condition of your heart? And your heart dictates the way that you live. Again, in Proverbs, right? Out of the heart flows the issues of life, right? Guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Luke 6.45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it addresses the way that we approach these different things, right? It can be the way that we approach money, the way that we approach our family, the way that we approach our friends, our businesses, our financial opportunities, our academic pursuits, you know, pursuing a, a degree or uh, education. When we think about these things, right? Do we let the Holy Spirit that lives in us transform us from the inside out so that we see these things through the lens of how he sees these things? Or do we let these outside things dictate our lives and become the very fruit that we want to partake of? They become the center of the way that we dictate our lives, right? Worshiping these things is determined by what you sacrifice everything for. This is the way it should be, right? The Holy Spirit, if we worship him in spirit and in truth, our spirit belongs to him, and therefore it transforms our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our will means the way that we make decisions. We're not quick to make decisions based on outward circumstances. We make decisions based on his word and based on the desires of his heart being holy and not our desires in the flesh. So our mind, our will, the way we think, the way we make decisions, and our emotions, the way we feel. We're not swayed by these, these things aren't swayed by the outward forces, but they're swayed and controlled by the Holy Spirit captivating our spirit. So the woman passes the test. She states, you know, the good old kids' church answer. Like, check, you, you've done well. But the fact of the matter is, we're talking. So I've got enough of an attraction with you that we're still talking here. So the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, if you think about that, these aren't necessarily bad things. How many of you know it's not bad to want to be like God? How many of you know it's not bad to know the difference between good and evil? It's actually a good thing. So the enemy is not presenting lies as much as he's presenting half-truths here, right? And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, here we go, 
and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her knucklehead, I mean her husband who was with her and he ate. Just, just a quick note, okay? If you read Genesis 2, we don't have time to really unpack it. That command to not eat from this tree actually came to Adam and then Eve was created from the rib. If you look at the sequence of events in Genesis 2. So anything she would have heard, if that sequence is true, had to have come from her Sunday school teacher, a.k.a. her husband. And this knucklehead was just standing there. Oh, you got fruit? Okay, I'll try some. Why? Because his desires were for her. You know, the Bible later on talks about in the New Testament that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not. Adam was not. He knew very well what he was doing. The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And here we are, again, human attempts towards holiness, making fig leaf loincloths, Louis Vuitton fig leaf jackets, Versace loincloth with fig leaves. If you've ever seen a fig leaf, it's interesting that it's, the choice was a fig leaf. The outside is smooth and shiny. The inside is furry and itchy. And that's the way that sin is going to feel. It's going to feel like shining, shimmering, splendid on the outside. But it's going to be irritating and itchy on the inside. So you can look all good on the outside, but there's something internally on the inside that just wrecks you because you know something's missing. So the second aspect of holiness, if holiness starts in the heart, secondly, holiness exposes our fallenness. God's holiness exposes our desperation for a Savior. You know, in preparation for this, um, Pastor Brian Taylor, who's one of our pastors, our Every Nation pastors in America, he was uh, writing about uh, Genesis 3. He's a, he's a scholar and one of the lecturers in our Every Nation seminary. And he said this, about this passage, the story turns for the worse. Eve considers what she once knew was restricted. She trusted what she saw and what she desired above what God said. Not only did she sin, but she also passed it on to her husband and he ate. Their eyes were opened to the point that now they recognized they were naked. There was an innocence lost. This shows that the serpent was not entirely dishonest about the fact that their eyes would be opened. Satan doesn't always approach us with outright lies, but rather with little half-truths that cause us to entertain what we know is forbidden. What are those things that lure us, those little trappings that are in our lives, that cause us to not walk in that oneness with God. If holiness can be defined by being one with a holy and righteous God, and this is the beauty of it, is that we cannot attain this holiness or this oneness with God, this relationship with God, unless we receive and accept the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and that he is resurrected to give us life. See, here's, here's the posture. I hope you can see this. Verse 8, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the tree, trees of the garden. See, when you are not walking 
in holiness. When you are not walking in this oneness with God and then things become exposed, that's the thing about when God says, let there be light. There's two sides to that. I'm thankful for the light because now I'm free in that light. But the thing about it is light exposes darkness too. Light exposes certain things in our lives that aren't our blemishes, right? Everybody looks like a supermodel when the, the lights are off. But then you go stand in front of a mirror and you turn that light on. <laughs> and, and you turn it even brighter and brighter. You're like, oh, ooh, I didn't see that. There's a new wrinkle there. Oh, no. Hopefully you can begin to see the posture of somebody who has a tendency to walk this way is to hide, is to move into more of a, like a fetal position. I don't want you to see me the way that I am, so I'm going to hide. I don't want anybody to see the quote-unquote hashtag authentic me. I'm going, I'm going to hide because so, I don't want anybody to see my fallenness. And we're living in a society now that this is the struggle, is that every, every, every image of ourselves needs to be curated and filtered but this is what God does. The same God that said, let there be light. He sees our fallenness. He sees our feeble attempts at self-righteousness with our own fig leaves. And those fig leaves can be your Instagram profile. The fig leaves can be uh, your business ventures. It can be your pursuit in your career. And these are the things that you clothe yourself in, your collection of different things, right? Like you clothe yourself with pride in these things only to find that, Man, something's missing. Just get itchy underneath. Like, this is, there's never enough. And that's the itch of the fig leaf. When God is trying to invite us to actually be robed in him. And that's why we ended on verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, that's a, for many that read that passage in Genesis 3, that can appear like just a throwaway verse. But I want you to see this as a precursor to what Jesus Christ would do. That in order for us to be covered, even though we were dispelled from the garden, from that unity with God, he still provides redemption by his grace. And it has to come through the death, the laying down of one's life, the lamb of God who would be slain to cover us so that we can be invited to this place of holiness again. If you can imagine holiness being like an insurmountable wall, the finished work of Jesus breaks that open for us. We can't do anything to climb and build this ladder. Trust me, they tried at Babel. But here's the thing, God knows and he foreknew and he provisionally gave us his redemption through Christ so that we could be invited back into this place of oneness with God. So if the posture of being in sin is to hide, to try to put our best foot forward, but there's still stuff going on. The posture of one who is holy is like this. I've got nothing to hide. I've got absolutely nothing to hide. And that's part of our humanity. Obviously, that's a journey, right? To get to that place of complete freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's complete freedom, right? You can be who God has created you to be without hiding anything because he's paid it all. 
And even if there are imperfections in our lives, we, we're quick to repent. We're quick to give those things to, to God to allow his healing and his restoration and his redemption come. So lastly, holiness is being set apart for oneness with God. Have you been set apart? Is your posture when you hear things like this is to hide or is it to be like, God, I surrender. Have you ever noticed that no matter where you go around the world, right? If a gun was held to you in Morocco or in Turkey or in Argentina or in Vietnam, no matter where you are, the immediate thing is to put your hands out. Why? Because you're trying to show them, I've got nothing to hide. I'm surrendered. And it's not like God is doing that with holiness. <laughs> he's like, beholding. No, but what he's trying to invite us into is like, I've done that already. Because if you remember, the posture of the one who invites us into this place of holiness was like this. God wrapped himself in human flesh and died a cruel death upon the cross, postured like this. He was holy. It was without blemish, the lamb that was slain. And that's the invitation he brings us into. Holiness, yes, was lost, but can now be found in the redemption power of Christ. And he loves you just where he found you in the, in, in the situations and the circumstances. What he's waiting for is for you to come to him and surrender too. Say, God, I'm no longer going to hide anymore. I'm going to come out into the light. Say, God, my life is yours. So we're going to um, enter into a time of prayer here. Um, in fact, I'll invite the worship team to come on up at this point. We could bring the lights down just as a point of reflection here. But I want us just to think for a moment, are we surrendered? Are we fully surrendered to God? Or are we in a place where we're, we're hiding. We've still, still got thing that God will, can see. I mean, we're, we, we can sometimes have the image that, that God can't see us in our state. But the invitation is to say, hey, hey, my son, my daughter, come, come to this place where you have absolutely nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. He loves you and your brokenness and he invites you to be made whole. So I want to pray. And I'll invite us to respond at this point. Father, thank you for just this opportunity to come into your word. And, and Lord, I thank you that we have no reason to hide, no reason to fear. Even, even um, as we enter into 2024, Lord, as we're kicking this year off, I really believe that there's so much vision and so much purpose for all of us in here. But there's, there's like a, the image I see is like a horizontal bungee that keeps pulling us back, pulling us back. And God is wanting to, cut the cords, cut the cables so that we can operate in complete freedom. If you're in this room today and maybe there's things that God is revealing, hey, this is holding you back. This is pulling you back. I want you to be holy. I want you to be released fully to everything that I have for you. If you're in this room today and there's things that God is saying, hey, are you willing to surrender that and come before me with nothing to hide? If you're here today, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Let me pray, Lord Jesus, thank you that you meet us here today to do this. If you're here and your, your desire is to surrender, 
anything specifically, or maybe it's to surrender your life afresh today. Say, God, I, I, I want to have, I want you to have your way in me. Can you just lift your hands and surrender and just posture yourself open to God as you surrender these things to Him? And just take a few seconds right now just to uh, surrender whatever it is in your own words. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we come back to that first verse. Let there be light. Let your light shine upon the different areas of our lives that really need transformation, really need your, the power of your holiness to come and invade. God, I thank you that you're restoring power. You're restoring uh, just uh, strength. You're giving us, Lord, purpose and meaning in this life as we submit our fallenness in exchange for your holiness today. Thank you for your finished work that you forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we are now yours and you are completely ours. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's message brought to you by Every Nation Brisbane. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Thank you for listening. God bless.